You're listening to The Mom Inspired Show, episode 280 with Emily Guy Birkin. Welcome to The Mom Inspired Show. I'm your host, Amber Sandberg, and this show is created to inspire, encourage, and add a little extra fun to your day. Hey, you guys, have you signed up for my coaching yet? If you are struggling with weight loss and you feel stuck and you just want to leave calorie counting behind and dieting behind, um, and you just feel like you can't achieve a weight loss that is sustainable, I want you to reach out to me because if you feel like you are spending so much energy thinking about how to lose weight, what to eat, and if you can even keep the weight off once you get to goal, this is for you. So I can help you tune into your body's hunger and fullness without feeling deprived. I can teach you not only how to lose weight for good, but how to sustain that weight loss so it seems easy and manageable. So if you're tired of being tired and not losing weight, then you are in the right place. Set up your free 30-minute coaching session today at mominspiredshow.com forward slash coaching. And if you can't find a time that works for you guys, email me at amber at mominspiredshow.com and you can find all of this information in the show notes. All right, you guys, let's go to the show. Hey, you guys, I'm super excited to have Emily on the show today. I wanted to have her on because I feel like there are many of us that did not start retirement in our early 20s. And if you hear a lot of the experts, they're like, you needed to start when you're younger, like time is money, you need time on your side. And so I wanted her to speak to the people who have not jumped on that bandwagon and you find yourself in your 30s and your 40s and you're like, what am I going to do? And is it too late? And you know, what are the things that I need to look for? out for and what surprises might come around the corner. And Emily has so many great suggestions. So if you find yourself in this camp and you feel like you are defeated and it feels hopeless and you feel like it's too late, why even bother? This episode's for you. If you know somebody who is in this camp, please share this episode and I hope you guys really enjoy it. Emily, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. So I like to ask all my guests um, an icebreaker to start off the show. And uh, the question I've been asking lately is, what is one thing that you wish you could tell your younger self? Hmm. Uh, I would love to tell my younger self to value herself more. Hmm. Uh, I very much fell into the sense that I needed to put others ahead of myself. Hmm. Um, yeah. And, um, that, you know, my, the things that I wanted and needed didn't matter as much. Uh, and so it would be great for my younger self to understand that, uh, I matter and that uh, I can put myself first and that, uh, it's, it's okay to want things, (laughs) um, and that I don't have to, uh, make myself smaller for any reason. Yeah, I like that. And I mean, when do you feel like you kind of really started noticing that you had been doing that and not putting yourself, you know, first at times? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Does it stand out to you when you kind of like, hmm, maybe this isn't really working? Uh, I don't know if that it was a specific realization that was kind of more general. I do know that learning the term emotional labor, which I had understood that that feeling. Um, so emotional labor, uh, it's a term that was actually originally coined by, um, oh, and I'm blanking on her name. That's okay. Yeah. Arlie Hochschild. That's right. Um, Arlie Hochschild, um, uh, to describe the type of labor that needs to be done in a, um, in a work environment in order to help other people manage their emotions. So uh, a common example is like flight attendants are helping, are using emotional labor to help their, um, 
um, passengers, clients, the people oh, flying yeah. the passengers mm-hmm. from, uh, from freaking out. Mm. Um, and, uh, and so if you've ever worked retail, you know, that there's quite a bit of emotional labor there in kind of smoothing things over with people who are, uh, upset, um, that yeah. sort of thing. Okay. Um, but emotional labor has kind of jumped to also mean the sorts of work that, uh, women are just expected to do in a household Mm. in terms of keeping everyone's uh, emotions even keeled. Yes. Uh, and so there are, there are examples of emotional labor that, uh, like that are pretty common. Like, uh, when, um, a man and woman get married, often she's the one who's expected to keep up correspondence and remember birthdays for both of them that sort of thing. Uh, (laughs) yeah. And so that was a revelation, just having that, that term for something that I had experienced for a long time really helped me recognize like, oh yeah, no, I have not been valuing my time Mm. because I've been putting in this emotional labor, um, for, for other people. Yeah. I mean, I've never even heard of that, but I, but I know what you mean when you're referencing all the things that you're talking about. So That is really interesting. So this is exactly why I like to ask this question, because Mm -hmm. it's very easy to just think certain things are normal with whatever, Mm -hmm. however you're doing things, right? Or telling yourself or the thoughts that you have. And, um, you know, as we get older, it's like we kind of just come to realization on certain things. So it's just nice to hear other people talking and and hearing and, and just kind of being like, wow, like you just taught me something that. I didn't even know had a word <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. except for mm-hmm. like people pleasing. You know what I mean? When you think about you're trying to put yeah. everybody in, in front of you and, and, and taking mm-hmm. everyone's needs and, and putting yours last. So anyways, that, that was really great. Um, let's get started. And how about you tell us your whole name, where you live and how many kids you have? So my name is Emily Guy Birkin. I am in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I have two sons who are 11 and eight years old. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. So I have a seven and a 10 year old, so they will in spring be eight and 11. So yeah, Mm -hmm. um, they're fun ages. Um, okay. So Emily, how about you share with us how you got to where you are today? And then we're going to just jump right in. Mm -hmm. So I am a personal finance writer and I, um, tripped and fell backwards into this career. Um, I'm actually an English teacher by training. Mm. Uh, I taught high school English for four years And then because I am excellent at timing, uh, my husband and I moved uh, the summer after my fourth year of teaching when I was also uh, pregnant with our eldest who was due at the beginning of the next school year. So great timing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so the original plan was I was going to take a year off to stay home with the baby and, uh, and then get back to the classroom. But then also because we're great at timing, we were not able to sell our, our original house. Uh, and so we went from two incomes to, to one, um, two people in the family to three and one house to two. Wow. <laughs> so in order to keep a little bit of money coming in, uh, while I was staying home with the baby, I, um, started looking for some freelance, um, uh, writing opportunities. And one of the first ones that I landed was for a financial website. So now that sounds like it's completely out of left field. Like, okay, you just said you were an English teacher. Uh, (laughs) My dad was a financial planner, so I wasn't completely uh, at sea with this stuff. I grew up with it. And then I've been a lifelong money nerd, but it never Mm. occurred to me that it was something I knew well enough to write about. Uh, mm -hmm. So because I was in this, you know, like, well, I'll, I'll 
try it, see what sticks um, kind of place. Um, I, I uh, worked on that site. The editor loved my, my, my work and passed my name along to his friends in the financial community um, and invited me to a, um, a financial media uh, conference. So that was in um, 2010, uh, and here it is more than 11 years later, and um, I have been freelance writing in the personal finance community uh, ever since, and I have written five books um, on personal finance, and I find that my background in education um, has really uh, made this a great fit because I learned as a teacher how to make things um relatable mm. to, um, to kids who don't necessarily, aren't necessarily interested in the same thing with money, you know, people who yeah. are, have some sort of aversion to it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I could kind of make sure that I'm educating with my writing, uh, and it's been a, a great fit for me. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I, I love having moms come on and talk about different things. And um, that's, you know, the name of the show is Mom Inspired Show. And I always want to leave moms inspired. And sometimes I think with money, it can just really leave people overwhelmed. And depending on how they grew up, um, how their parents spent money and handled money, it could kind of put them down different paths. And so um, I wanted you to touch base on two books that we'll probably be talking about, um, stacked and, uh, is it five years before retirement? No, that's not the, the oh, five okay. years before yeah. you retire. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so, um, I would love to hear a little bit of, uh, why you wrote these two books and then we'll, we'll mm -hmm. get more into the questions. So, um, the five years before you retire was my, my first book. Uh, and, um, you know, speaking of inspiring, um, so not, not that I want to say that I'm inspiring, but, <laughs> um, so, so many things happened in this weird way for me to get mm. a chance to write that book. Uh, I went to that first financial media conference and I got into a long conversation with someone who hired me to write a daily column for his website. Um, two years later, uh, the editor um, at the um, publishing house uh, that uh, published Five Years Before You Retire um, came up with the idea for the book. They, they came up with the, the idea in-house and then went looking for a writer. And my editor was familiar with my column on that website and thought that I would be a good fit. And so that's one of those things where, um, it's all of these different things that just happened to fall into place that allowed me to have this incredible opportunity. Uh, and so they asked me if I'd be interested in, in writing it. I was definitely very, uh, very interested. Um, and I loved the topic because a lot of retirement books are out there that kind of are geared towards younger people in retirement. Um, um, so, or so like in the twenties and thirties, like you've got 30 years before you retire, here's what you need to do to, to be ready for it. And then there's, there's stuff even for people who are about like 10 years out, like as you're preparing, as you're gearing down and all of that, but there wasn't much out there for the people who are like, Oh my goodness, I forgot to plan for retirement. It's and it's five years from now. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, and that's uh that's who I most want to be able to reach because those are the ones who are feeling overwhelmed. Those are the ones who feel like, you know, oh, I might as well not try because it's nothing's written for me. There's nothing available for me, and maybe it's too late. And I 
loved having the opportunity to write a book that got into the very specifics and the nitty gritty of what you need to do and when. Uh, one of the things I included in the book was um, what I call uh, your retirement syllabus, which tells you like in the five years before you retire, here's what you're going to want to do in year five. Here's what you're going to want to do in year four, in year two and nine months. You know, these are these things, but also provide the reassurance that, um, you know, starting today is going to be better off than not starting that, uh, you know, I'm not ever going to be one of those financial experts who says, well, you know, if you can't build a time machine and start 20 years ago, then there's no point. Like I, right. I hate that kind of message. Yeah. It's always, you know, like start today, start now, do what you can today. That'll help, help what you're doing for tomorrow. So that's how I came to write, um, five years before you retire. Um, and it's, it went really well. Um, I, uh, I, it became an Amazon bestseller. Um, I actually, that book came out in, uh, January of 2014 and I released an updated and revised edition in May of 2021. Um, then in between, I wrote another three books, um, choose your retirement, uh, making social security work for you and, and financial stress now. Uh, and then, um, a friend of mine who is a podcaster, Joe Saul Cihai of the Stacking Benjamins podcast reached out to me and asked if I'd be interested in co-authoring a book with him, mm. um, that would be a humorous guide to money. Mm. Uh, and that's, uh, what came out, um, stacked your super serious guide to modern money management, uh, super serious, you know, imagine the, the kind of, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. uh, scare quotes around it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Um, and, uh, so that was an opportunity to, um, reach the type of people who are never going to pick up a, a financial book. Oh, um, yeah. the type of people who are like, Ooh, I, mm, I don't want to read about money cause I'm afraid it's going to tell me I'm doing it wrong. Mm. So Joe and I, our goal was to make something that was legitimately funny and enjoyable to read that <laughs> also teaches you what you need to know yeah. to get your money in order. That is really cool. I love that. I mean, because you really are targeting the people that wouldn't really be thinking about money probably in the first place. And maybe there, it's kind of that mm -hmm. afterthought of like, oh, yeah, maybe I should be looking at something and, and, mm -hmm. and that this would be appealing to them. So, you know, feel free to kind of like reference if you are talking, which book you're talking about um, when I ask you a question, um, then that can also to help people decide if they do want to get a book, which book might be best for them. Um, because I love both concepts. And so, um, one thing that I wanted to ask you about is retirement. Like, so you were talking about like, you know, people are like, yeah, you needed to start that in the twenties. And, and then, you know, it's like time, you need time, mm -hmm. time, time, time. Everybody's like, you need time. Right. And, and it's like, well, if you don't have time, what in the world are you doing? Because are you just that you're just not going to have anything. And so why do you think though, it is really hard though for people to kind of just prepare for retirement? Like what, mm -hmm. what is holding them back? Um, and then getting them to the five year before retirement, right. That they wake up and go, okay, I guess I need to be thinking about it. Like what's most likely going on all those other years when they were younger, when they, when, I don't know if I really want to say that they really needed to be doing it, but it would have been mm -hmm. ideal. Okay. So mm -hmm. what do you think is really the thing that holds them back and is not, um, getting them in motion of like, let's start doing this. Mm -hmm. So there is something that happens in our brains, um, where 
we actually have a really hard time imagining our future selves as ourselves. Uh, and they've actually, neuroscientists have found that when we think about ourselves in the future, the same part of our brain lights up as when we think about a stranger. Mm. So very literally, our yeah. future selves are a stranger to us. Yeah. And it's hard to care about a stranger. Yeah. So, um, and that is, uh, that's very true of, of just humans in general. We, we, we struggle with that. Then add on to that, uh, another really interesting thing, um, that, uh, you know, linguists and, and neuroscientists have discovered is that, uh, in languages where there is a future tense. So, uh, I would say to you, it will rain tomorrow mm. rather than in another language, they might say it rains tomorrow. Oh. Um, so languages with a future tense, the people who speak those languages with the future tense tend to save less money, take worse care of their, their, their health, um, practice, um, um, less safe sex, uh, mm. all of those things. Oh. And it's because our language, which helps, um, create the way our brain thinks of the world separates the future from the present, um, through our verb tense in such a way that we just, we, we think it's, it's somebody else's problem. That's not my problem. That's somebody else's problem. So when so, somebody says it will rain tomorrow, that those are the people who are not thinking about the future. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Those oh. are the people because it will rain tomorrow. Yeah. It, it lacks an immediacy. Whereas oh. uh, if, you know, if it in like German, tomorrow. they say it rains yes. tomorrow, there's still that immediacy of the verb oh, tense. Got it. Okay. That's interesting. Um, it's, it's fascinating because, and it just kind of goes to show how wild and weird and wonderful our brains are. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and that's, that's something that like, it's just, that's part of the uh, experience of being a human and part of the experience of being an English speaking human Yeah, right. <laughs> um, is, is, uh, dealing with that and overcoming that, uh, hesitancy to see your future as, as yourself. Uh, so there are some like fun tricks that they, that, have been suggested like, um, creating an age progressed version of yourself that you post mm. somewhere mm. so that you have like, um, a, a non-stranger to be thinking about yes. taking care of is, yeah. is something that, uh, has been yeah. suggested can be helpful. Um, the other thing that I think is really helpful, um, or well, actually opposite. The other okay. thing that, that is worrisome sure. is that so often we say you need time, mm. but then we treat, uh, retirement as like a cliff, like you fall off a cliff and that's mm. it. You need time. You need to <laughs> save up the money for that point. Yeah. Mm. The thing is you're not done investing. You're not right. done dealing with your money the day that you stop working, right, right, right. Your money will continue to grow for you after that. And so when we so put so much emphasis on like, you need time for compound interest to do the work. Well, don't forget, you will have time mm. at the end of your life as well. So, you know, that's not to say, I don't want people to be like, oh, well, I'm like, I Birkin said, it's okay. I can just retire. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's yeah. more like if you are staring down the barrel of a retirement and you're going like, oh my goodness, I, I didn't do enough when I was in my twenties, thirties, forties. Um, you can say like, no, no, but I can do something now and that will help me in my eighties. Yes. Um, and so that's, that's something that I think 
because we, and I think this is a similar brain thing that we do. We have this very binary way of thinking about things. You know, you work and then you retire, you save for retirement, then you spend in retirement. Uh, we don't recognize the, the nuances, the gray areas, and the fact that all of it is connected. Yeah. And you know, I feel like this is a big struggle for a lot of people. I know that for me personally, this has been kind of an issue of trying to figure out how much you should be trying to invest. You know, they're always like, well, how are you living today? And then you have to try to figure out how does that look later? And like, I don't even know, like, how, how do we know this? Like, so, you know, you think about if somebody retires and if they have a million dollars, does that seem like a lot? Does that seem really low? Does somebody else have 10 million? And they're like, yeah, that's, that's way better to have $10 million. Or is it like, no, a million's good to have a million dollars and you just keep going. The thing is, is like, I feel like no one will answer your question because they want to just be Mm -hmm. like, well, it all depends on how your lifestyle is right now. So I think a lot of times people are just kind of like, that would be like, so I help women, I'm a a life coach and I help uh, with weight loss. And it would just be kind of like saying, you don't ever know what your goal weight might want to be. It may be like, well, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It could be 200. It could be 120. Like, and then Mm -hmm. like, let's just hope for the best and like head in that direction. And so I wonder what your thoughts are with that, because I think that for me, it seems like that gets stressful because you don't really know if you're kind of behind the ball or it, Mm -hmm. or if you are okay, like, cause nobody can really answer your question because they're like, it goes back to like, well, it depends on your lifestyle and what you want. And it's like, but I don't know how much bread's going to cost. You know what I mean? Like how much, mm-hmm. how much mm-hmm. is gas going to cost? Or like, what's an airplane ticket going to cost in, you know, in, in so many years. So what's your thoughts on that with people kind of feeling stuck or getting paralyzed with that? So, uh, I'm going to explain part of the reason why a, we in the financial media industry don't like to put a number there. Yeah. Uh, and one of those is, so If I tell you that a million dollars is not enough to retire on anymore, there are going to be people out there who are in their fifties who have $20,000 in their, in their 401k Mm. who say a million dollars, not enough. There's no possible way Mm. I can get more than that between now and then. Right. I might as well give up. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to cash out my 401k and go to Vegas. Why am I doing this? (laughs) So, um, because in a lot of cases, depending on where you live, what mm. your lifestyle is, mm-hmm. how you spend your money, all of those things, a million dollars may not be enough, right. but you're going to be better off with 850000 than nothing. Right. <laughs> you're going to be better off with whatever you can put aside than nothing yeah. um, or you know that, that sense of giving up. So that's part of the reason why uh, we don't like to be pinned down by a number. That makes sense. Um, Now, as for how to deal with that, Mm -hmm. that's kind of like what you're talking about, about being a life coach and Mm -hmm. helping, helping your, um, your clients with weight loss. Uh, you are dealing with each one individually, right? You're not writing something for everyone. Yeah. You know, everyone should be 150 pounds. Like that's not going to work. Yeah. So when it comes to retirement, this is why I think it's really worthwhile to partner with a trusted financial advisor. Mm. Now, that can like people go, Oh, wait. Yeah, <laughs> I know. You just um, made everybody go, uh, <laughs> oh, I don't want to do yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Like another um, thing I got to pay for. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, here's the thing about a, a, a financial advisor. Um, they are not just for people who are wealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
they can be really helpful in making sure you get where you want to go. So, um, the analogy I give is, um, if you are behind the driver's seat, you know, you're, you're the one, um, steering on your path to retirement. Having a good financial advisor means they are sitting shotgun. They've got the map and they're Mm -hmm. giving you um, suggestions for where you can go. So even if you've got a good general idea of things, it's great to have someone who knows the map. Yeah. So um, and as for finding a financial advisor, because, again, that that can feel like, you know, that was my next question. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like Emily, where like, are we going for these people? Instagram? No, just joking. <laughs> LinkedIn. <laughs> Got to go on the right social platform. No, I'm I'm kidding. But so, but this is a thing that like people, if you're not running in the circles of people mm-hmm. being like, oh, I got a good guy or I got a good gal mm-hmm. or whatever, right? Like, oh, this person will hook you up. And people kind of are like, I don't have, but this is one of the reasons why mm-hmm. I started this podcast is to bring on people to, because if you don't have those people in your circle, and to help you kind of figure out like, what is your next step? I wanted people to be able to listen. And and I'll say this really quick. I started this in 2016. I can't even tell you how many moms didn't even know what a podcast was back then. So, I mean, mm-hmm. not, mm-hmm. podcast is more mainstream now and, and people are listening to that. But, but this is an issue that people, if you're not running in circles that kind of have access to these resources and stuff like that, people really don't know where to go. So if we just kind of come from like, Imagine people do not have a lot of knowledge on this. Like, where would you even direct them at the very, very like simple level? So, um, one thing I, I think, particularly since you've got um, moms, mm-hmm. it's helpful to uh, remember finding your first babysitter. Yes. <laughs> Because you probably had a similar, you know, when you've had your first kid, um, depending on where you are, I mean, if you, if you were, you know, lucky enough to be, um, close to family and Mm -hmm. lots of friends who've already had kids, then, you know, you had people who to introduce you. But if you were like me and my husband, where we were 300 miles away from our closest family members and we just moved there when we had our baby, (laughs) um, had to try to figure out how to find a babysitter. So think about it that way. Like Mm. what, who are the people you trusted and how did you know that you trusted them to get some suggestions for where to find people? Um, that I also like to make the babysitter, um, comparison because, uh, one of the problems with finding a financial planner is people feel intimidated. So they will, um, just go ahead and work with the first person they speak to Mm. because they feel intimidated about the idea of, of, um, interviewing multiple people yeah. to find the right one. Right. Uh, and you didn't do that with your babysitter, you know, with the, with your, your precious child, you're not going to leave them with just anyone. You want some, you want to understand background. You want to interview multiple people. You want to find the right fit. Um, so same thing with your money. You want to find someone with the right background, who's good fit, who you trust. So as for like the specific what to do. Mm-hmm. The National Association of Personal Financial Advisors, which is NAPFA, NAPFA, has a website that allows you to search for financial advisors mm-hmm. near you. Um, and that, if you have no one that you feel com- comfortable asking about, like, do you have a guy? Um, that is a good place to go. The other thing to think about is you may already have someone that you go to that you trust, like, um, a CPA. So do you have someone who does your taxes? They might be able to recommend a financial planner for you. 
Do you have an insurance agent um, mm-hmm. who helped you get life insurance? They may be able to uh, recommend a financial planner for you. And then once you kind of get within that network, you can start um, doing what you need to do to interview your financial the financial planners and find one who's a good fit. Um, and as for interviewing, there are some questions that are really good to ask um, uh, to find the right planner for for um, uh, for your needs. Um, and so, you know, that includes asking them things like their background and experience, um, the licenses and certifications they hold. Um their investment philosophy. And even if you're like, I don't really understand what an investment philosophy is. If you ask them like, okay, uh, how do you see investing? What do you think should happen with it? They should be able to answer that question in English, not in, you know, financial ease. Right. Yeah. (laughs) In a way that you understand. And if you don't, they're not a good fit. Mm. You know, you don't want to be in with a financial advisor who's trying to impress you with how smart they are. You want to be with someone who wants to make sure you understand. Yes, those are all really good points. And I think that is very helpful. Um, And just even kind of going like the person that does your taxes and and insurance person and and whatnot. So that's great. Um, One of another question I wanted to ask you too is um, what are some things that people feel like they get surprised, you know, uh, when it comes to retirement um, that maybe people are not thinking about? Healthcare. Yeah, that's, um, people, that I feel like that. Yes. Yeah. So I, so let me just say, I feel like that's the thing that will really get you that you mm-hmm. didn't really see that coming. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. So yeah, share with us what that looks like when you say that. So, uh, Fidelity every year does a, um, study where they, they, um, calculate how much a 65 year old retiring couple will spend on healthcare for the rest of their lives mm-hmm. if they retire that year. So in 2021, a 65-year-old retiring couple um, will spend $295,000 on health care for the Whoa. rest of their lives. Wow. Uh, now, and to make that even a little bit more worrisome, uh, 65-year-olds are eligible for Medicare. So that's on yeah. Medicare. Right. Now, I do want to put a couple of caveats on that number. Okay. Um, because of the way that calculations work, you know, there, there's no way for Fidelity to to run these numbers uh, in a way that represents how most people handle healthcare. So, mm. like, if in most cases, um, let's say you fall and break your hip, in a lot of cases, you're able to get surgery or you know, I'll heal, get some um, physical and occupational therapy, and you're back to living independently again. Maybe it takes a year or so before everything's all set, but you're back to living independently again. Um, the model that Fidelity uses assumes that if you have a negative health event, that's going to just continue um, costing you through the rest of your life. Uh, and that's simply because that's the only way to do these calculations. <laughs> There's no way to do it mm. uh, showing what it's like if you know you get sick, you get better, you get sick, you get better. Um, that said, that... 295,000 is average. Wow. (laughs) Um, So, uh, and when people think about it, uh, when they think about uh, healthcare costs in retirement, they often um, uh, have an assumption of about, uh, they'll need about $50,000. So the people who are planning for that are are in a better position than the ones who are completely um, (laughs) surprised. You know, like, oh yeah, I got to pay for medical stuff. Uh, but that is something that, um, 
can be a, a, a really negative surprise um, and is something that people are not necessarily planning ahead for. Uh, there are a couple things that people can do. Um, for one, understanding what your options are with Medicare before you need it. Mm. Um, so educating yourself on Medicare and, uh, some of your listeners probably, uh, may have already been through this somewhat with helping their parents, mm -hmm. uh, get onto Medicare. Yeah. Um, I know that that is something, you know, I was, was helping my mom, um, with that and, and making those decisions, um, making sure that you understand what the options are, how much they cost, when they're available, and all of those things long before you need them uh, can be really, really helpful to make sure that you minimize your costs as much as possible. So let me ask you, um, okay, so uh, does Medicare kick in at 65? Mm -hmm, that's correct. Uh, okay. So ideally, if you were to start thinking about your options, like when would you be like, this is a really ideal time to like start looking into this? What, what age would you say? Uh, I'd say about uh, late fifties, early sixties. Okay. Um, and uh, you know, if you have, you know, if you have a relative who, who uh, is, is going on Medicare, I think it's great to help them. Even if you're younger than that, um, just to get a sense of how, how the works. system works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the only reason why I'd say wait until late fifties, early sixties is because um, it's a, it's a law and it could change. Yes. Um, that's that what I was thinking. actually happened uh, in 2000. Gosh, was that 15? Mm. Uh, I was writing Making Social Security Work for You. Mm. Um, three weeks after I turned in the um, the final draft. It changed. Uh, Congress changed <laughs> oh my Social goodness. Security and nullified 50% of what I'd written. Oh, no. Um, oh no, I mean, that was a <laughs> – and it was a change that went into effect very quickly. It was oh, a wow. um, change that was going to um, start six months after the, the, the legal change. Wow. Or the Congress made the yeah. um, made the decision, uh, so you know I did not want to in any way complain about <laughs> having to rewrite the book because there were people who had been counting on retiring yes. um, and getting certain amounts of money that they weren't going to be able to get anymore because of it. Um, but that's something to keep in mind: is that uh, a stroke of a pen could change things. Mm. So when you think about like healthcare and when you're retiring, are you thinking about like? I guess, are you trying to figure out like you, you need to have more money just because of the healthcare? Is that kind of what we're saying in this or like, like what would people, I guess, need to do besides just understanding Medicare? Um, what would be helpful? Like if they're in their forties, right? Like, so people are in their thirties, they're late thirties in their forties, maybe early fifties. And we just kind of sprung this on them. We're like, yeah, healthcare is going to be expensive. What would you say like would be helpful for them to like change things up if they're able to do that for retirement? So, um, particularly for people who are younger, thirties, forties, fifties, um, opening a Roth IRA and maximizing oh. it, um, each year, uh, is one of the best things that I think that we, people can do to prepare for healthcare costs in retirement. Now, the Roth IRA is um, the retirement vehicle that allows you to put money in that you've already paid taxes on. Right. Um, but once you retire, you can take um, the money out tax-free mm -hmm. and um, there are no required minimum distributions. Um, what that means is uh, with uh, um, tax-deferred retirement vehicles, so like a 401k and a traditional IRA, you put money in that you haven't paid tax on. 
Right. And then when you get to retirement, once you get to age 72, you need to start taking a certain amount out every year and paying taxes on it. Okay. Um, so, uh, and that means that you are stuck taking money out, even if you don't need it with, with that kind of retirement account. Okay. So with the Roth IRA, what that means is, um, you've got money in this, um, in this account that is not going to affect your taxes in retirement, Mm. um, is not going to affect taxes on your social security payments, um, which can be taxed. And if, Mm. you know, heaven forbid Mm -hmm. you have, um, uh, cancer and need to have surgery and it's Mm -hmm. very expensive, you can take the big chunk of money out of that Roth IRA. It does not affect anything else. It Mm -hmm. doesn't affect um, your taxes. It doesn't affect your social security, um, and pay for your, your healthcare with that. And the benefit is if you are fine and are very healthy throughout your retirement, you can, um, take that money out of the Roth IRA and use it for whatever you want. Right. Um, so that is one of the, I think the best ways that people can plan ahead for, uh, potential healthcare costs in retirement. Um, even without knowing what to expect 20 years down the road. Yeah, that is a good point. Okay. So can you invest in a Roth IRA if you make a certain amount of money? Like is there's a cap, isn't there? Yes, there is a cap. It is, um, Oh is goodness, one sixty. Uh, I think it's between two hundred and eight thousand oh, and um, two hundred twenty-eight thousand for a married couple. Oh, okay. I believe is okay. is where it's um um uh, phases it out. Got it. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Um, so so that's good to know. Like so um so for the people, let's just say people make over that. Um, where would you then say they should be funneling their money to help them if they can't take advantage of the Roth IRA? Um, so there are two options there. The first is um, something called a backdoor Roth. Oh. Um, there is a way to put money into a traditional IRA and then convert it into a Roth IRA by paying oh. um, and paying taxes. And that's the sort of thing that both the CPA and yep. a, um, a financial advisor can be really helpful in in helping you navigate, making sure you're doing it, it right so you don't get within Uncle Sam's crosshairs yes. by accident. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's one possibility. Um, another is if you have access to a health savings account. Oh, HSA. Um, what do you mean? Yeah, an HSA. Yeah. 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 Um, that's something where you can also put um, money aside. That uh, and often with HSA, it's um, uh, tax deferred. So pre-tax money you put aside, it stays in there, and as long as you use it for qualified healthcare expenses, uh, you can take it out tax-free as well. Yes. So you get. Um, you don't have to pay taxes to put it in, you get tax-free growth and you can take it out tax-free as long as you yes. pay for, um, qualified healthcare expenses. The, the thing about the HSA mm-hmm. is that if you plan for, you know, a, a big chunk of money in your HSA and you're super healthy, right, it's then stuck. there are going to be, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're, you can, you can access the money, but you'll pay a penalty and oh, pay okay. taxes and, and yeah. that and the other. So it's Got not it. as if the money goes away, yeah. um, but it is, it is earmarked for a specific purpose. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. So I, I'm realizing I could keep talking to you about this for a very long time. And this is going to become a two hour episode. So, okay. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about like fun things with stacked. And so I know that there's, um, you know, you talk about like vocabulary, like how we say things kind of make a big difference. So let's talk about like saving for retirement to investing for retirement. Mm -hmm. And what is the difference? And why does this even matter? You know, like people may be like, okay, 
like we're just switching the words here, but like, I, mm-hmm. I want to hear your thoughts on this on, on why it is. And, and also to tie into like, um, I do want to end on this, like why we shouldn't be taking our finances and all that. So seriously, even though we are talking mm-hmm. about healthcare and how we want to have money for things that may not be fun. So, um, this is kind of how I want to, uh, end the episode. So I would love for you to start with a, why vocabulary is such a big, um, mm-hmm. plays such a big role in our investment and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I am guilty of this. I, I can remember um, someone else pointing it out uh, several years ago. We always talk about saving for retirement, like, mm-hmm. and and it's in, in the greater you know discussion. We're like, you know, Americans should save more for retirement. Americans are not saving enough for retirement. Now, the problem with the word saving is that it has this very specific connotation of like, I'm taking money away from what I want to do and I'm putting it over here for something that I have to do. Yeah. And so that's, that's one part of it. And then there's also, we have in the sense of saving, we think of it in like a savings account where, you know, if you're getting 0.15% interest rate, you're lucky. And so when you want to save up for something, you need to save dollar for dollar for what you need. I mean, that's how your parents taught you or how you're teaching your kids. If they want to save up for an Xbox, you know, they need to save dollar for dollar for the entire cost of the Xbox. Yeah. But that's not how retirement works. Mm. Um, And no one would be able to retire if, you know, let's say your retirement number is 3.5 million. If you had to save dollar for dollar every single one (laughs) of that 3.5 million, it would never happen because we're investing for retirement. We're putting that money not aside into a savings account, not into our mattress or a jar uh, or a big vault. Um, We are putting it into the stock market or in the bond market or in real estate or in a number of different things that is not only um, going to be a place where our money can grow, but where we can kind of deputize our money to work on our behalf. So when we switch from saying, I want to save more for retirement to I want to invest more for retirement, we change the idea of like, this is entirely on my shoulders to get there to I am using my money to help help me create more money for retirement. And that feels so much better and more exciting than saving for retirement. Mm, Um, You know, if you start thinking about like, oh, wow, like my money's going to do this cool stuff for me when I invest it. That is so much uh, more motivating. And so uh, I really believe that it's an important shift that we need to take uh, collectively to be talking about investing for retirement. Yeah, I think that plays such a huge role, just like shifting that completely, because it does. It, I liked it at the beginning when you said it kind of feels like you're you're kind of like losing or taking away mm-hmm. when you're saving for that versus investing it kind of empowers you a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. So and empowering yourself is um, is actually part of the reason why I think it's so important not to take money too seriously. So um, the the actress and comedian Vicki Lawrence um, says uh, life's too serious to be taken seriously. Mm. <laughs> um, and with apologies to Vicki Lawrence, I think money's too serious to be taken mm. seriously. Uh, and there's a couple of, of, of reasons for that. Now, I don't ever want to take away from the fact that money can be overwhelming and tragic and, and, and worrisome and stressful. It is. But um, when we treat it as those things, when we treat it as like, oh my goodness, I have to make this life or death decision with my money, 
uh, is that going to, you know, keep your, your heart rate down, help you feel calm while you make the decision? No, <laughs> that's going to make you be like, oh my God, I have to make the right decision and either, you know, paralyze yourself, you know, with, with doubt and indecision or make you uh, make a snap decision just so it's done. So if you start thinking about your money as something that you can find humor in, even in tough situations, um, that is going to help you um, slow down, kind of take a breath and make better choices. So when you have made um, a a money screw up, because we all do, try to find the funny thing in it. Because if you can laugh at yourself and laugh at your decision, that's going to be a lot easier to not make the same decision or the same mistake later than you did that time because you're laughing about it instead of trying to avoid it and pushing it away from yourself in your own mind. Yeah, I think that is really great. And I do think people are like, oh, we need to be so serious about money. And um, and I think if you can just have a different thought about it, it really does change you know, how you show up and, and uh, what you do with it. And I think too, like going back to the very beginning of this episode, it's kind of like, we just get so overwhelmed or paralyzed because it's like, if we feel like we're behind and so then it's like, well, why even bother? You know, it's kind of like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we're kind of like you saying like, well, if we told you a number and then you're not there, kind of like, we should just pull it out and, you know, go to the beach or something. I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yes. I, I once worked with a woman um, when I was teaching who said she didn't bother saving for retirement or worrying about it. Thankfully, our, our school district did for us, oh. but uh, she didn't bother <laughs> worrying about retirement because she wanted to enjoy her money while while she was young. And, yeah. and uh, she was someone who, who was kind of nervous and frightened about money. Mm. Now, I, part of me wanted to slap her silly. Yeah. Because <laughs> even then I was, I was very much a money nerd. Um, but it, it really kind of spoke to how we see money as this either or like I either get to enjoy myself now or I live in deprivation and and have no fun and and, and take care of myself later um, where it can be both end. Um, You can both enjoy yourself now and take care of yourself later. And one of the keys to doing that is, you know, lowering the temperature on the conversations, taking it a little less seriously, having some fun with it and learning how to say, oh, oh, well, when you've made a mistake and figure out how to bounce back from it instead of beating yourself up about it. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. Well, Emily, I could just keep talking to you, but I am like, well, <laughs> kind of have to keep this reasonable. So um, I appreciate you coming out. Is there anything you want to just add or do you feel like we uh, covered it all? Or is there something that kind of stands out to you that you're like, you just want to add that before we end? Uh, just to, to remind people that um, it's always helpful to think about what you do today and how that you'll be glad to wake up for it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So try to do something every day that you're glad you did. Yeah. Uh, when you wake up the next morning, um, whether that's a little thing like, you know, um, making lunches the night before, mm. so you're not in a rush in the morning, or it's a bigger thing like, uh, sending an extra hundred bucks towards your retirement account. Um, you know, thinking about like how you can make tomorrow's you yes. her day a little easier mm-hmm. is, is, uh, it's like a little gift to yourself. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting you talk about this future self, because I just did an episode, uh, a, f- a couple of weeks about, um, your future self and, and, like I said, I tie everything kind of into um, weight loss or just kind of even just maintaining a weight loss, which is challenging for people. Um, and and the one thing that I always focused on is um, what will your future self thank you for for to, like mm-hmm. today that you do? So it's very similar mm-hmm. to what you're saying. It's like 
all those little things do add up. And so um, I think that kind of like what you're saying, it's like people feel like they need to, it's like all or nothing, you know? And Mm -hmm. so there's like, Mm -hmm. oh, the little things aren't going to matter. And it's like, no, they will. They will matter. And it will eventually change your um, behavior towards whatever you're doing over time because it does all add up. So I appreciate Mm -hmm. that. So uh, Emily, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was so great talking with you. Thank you for having me. Hey, you guys, have you grabbed your free copy of how to get going with your weight loss again worksheet? If not, head on over to mominspiredshow.com forward slash routine to get your free copy that shows you how to easily get back into your routine. Sometimes we just get off track by traveling, stress, family obligations. Maybe you've been sick, you name it. And this is what I love to use when I'm ready to get back into my routine to go after my goals, either to lose weight or just to stay in maintenance. All right, we'll see you next week. 